Today on the Starting Eleven podcast, we discuss mutiny at Chelsea as City win the first trophy of the season with the Carabao Cup final. We discuss Spurs being Spursy and a Liverpool United game that fizzled out into a draw. All that and more coming up on the Starting Eleven podcast. Welcome to episode seven of the Starting Eleven podcast. I'm your host, Justin Borrow, and with me today is the one, the only, Chengiz Khan. Hello, hello, hello. No fake fact for today. Since this is a different different type of recording, uh, we're all in remote locations today. No fake fact and no Peter. It's just going to be a no two-man two man rodeo today. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. This is the first time we're recording where we can't see each other's ugly faces. <laughs> well, that means you can't make any comments about my ugly grin anymore, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I can. No, the thing is, when we're going to talk about United and things United did well, you are going to have that same shit eating grin. <laughs> and the thing about that grin is that it has presence and aura, and I can feel it. You can. Like, there is a, there is a disturbance <laughs> in the force. Well, I Whenever think it's the fact that I this. know that you're going to have to say good things about United this week, that it's going to just make that grin oh, I don't a have little to say, bit harder. I don't have to say anything good. That's where you're wrong. <laughs> All right, well, let's jump into the first game we're going to talk about, which was the EFL Cup Final, Chelsea versus City. Uh, for the most part, it was a pretty drab game. Uh, Chelsea looked much more refined. They sat deep. They managed to frustrate City. Um, but I think the real drama came in the 118th minute. Kepa goes down. Looks like he has a bit of an injury. Um, Sorry decides to make a decision to to switch him out with um, Calabrello. Am I saying that wrong? Willy Caballe- Caballero. Caballero. See, we're, bo- we're both screwing <laughs> up today. <laughs> because <laughs> we're remote I'm telling you right now yeah man um, and so uh, he decides to bring in uh, Caballero Caballero he decides to bring in Caballero um, Kepa waves him off furiously tells him that he's fine doesn't want to come out uh, David Luiz goes over has a bit of a chat with him uh, refuses to come off the pitch sorry storms away looks like he was about to leave Wembley uh, he comes back um, frustrated, banging things on the bench, screaming at some of the other staff, the other players. Uh, finally, uh, the referee comes over, John Moss, tells him he has to make a decision, and Sari caves to Kepa, waves him away, and calls off the substitution. And City go on to win the game in penalties. Yeah. I mean, this was just a blatant disregard for for norms of the game. Uh, it was just, it was pure mutiny. Um and I, I don't buy the the response from the team afterwards either. No, absolutely not. Um, I don't think anyone's really seen anything like this, which is really a first for football because we've seen a lot of it over the last 50, 60, 70 years of it being televised. I, I really don't know when we started watching football on the telly, telly but uh, this was a first and it was really strange to see it unfold it was i've never seen anything more gripping and i watch game of thrones like it was it was (laughs) like a real life hbo drama you know will he come off will he won't it was a real war of wills out there and i if i were sorry honestly based on what happened and based on also the the captain's response cesar espilicueta you know he Especially in the post-match interview, he says, oh, I was on the other side of the pitch, so I didn't really see it, which is just a weak-ass response to anything. Complete BS. Yeah, and he doesn't 
go over to Kappa and says, listen, the manager wants you to get off. You get off. John Terry also comes out in the in the press, former Chelsea FC captain, Mr. Chelsea, if you will. And he says, I would have got on the pitch and dragged him off myself. It's really, the fact this situation even happened is just an incredible disrespect to the manager, to Willy Caballero, who just got completely, you know, He's just like an instant bystander and all this, and I feel terrible for him. But also to the team, because Caballero has a much better track penalty track record with penalties. And I mean, as somebody who uh, is not extremely fond of City uh, or Chelsea, for that matter, um, I mean, after that whole situation, it, it gave me a lot of pleasure to see Aguero's goal sneak in underneath yes. uh, Kepa, yes. a, a shot that he should have saved, because it was just... for me what made me the most angry is the fact that it was just a complete disregard for the for the principles of the game yes uh and and the and for the sport itself i mean when your number is called on that board whether or not you're injured whether or not you want to come off you come off like that kind of mutiny it's travesty of the game yeah and and in some other sports like that's a suspension uh, I mean, in hockey, hockey, and I know for hockey, for a fact, like travesty of the game is like a huge suspension. So if you if you take the piss from the sport itself uh, and you sort of start to to have a disregard for the the principles of it, then you know what? You're you're a piece of shit. And just to br- kind of leech off that last thing you said where you were rooting for City. The final penalty kick was Raheem Sterling, which, you know, like uh, as a Liverpool fan, I have to be, you know, willing for him to miss every single time he gets in front of the net. I have never fist pumped harder in my life when that <laughs> when that penalty yeah. went in, because what Chelsea did was anti-football. What Kepa did was anti-football. And that team is a disgrace to the Premier League. It's a disgrace to... A cup final as well. I don't think any Chelsea fan could have come away from that. Even if they did win the shootout, even if Kepa, I mean, he did make one really, really good save. Um, but even if Kepa was the hero of the night, I don't think any Chelsea fan would have been happy with that victory because it just rings a bit hollow. And even the even the defeat is hollow. And you have to kind of feel for for the team and, and for Sarri himself because, I mean, they played well on the night uh, for the most part. I mean, um his tactics were starting to kind of yeah. come through. They were starting to show, I mean, compared to that, that six nil driving they had uh, at the Etihad, they looked way better. But the thing is that after this, this shit show that Kepa caused, um, nobody's talking about that. Yeah. You know, that, that became sort of the highlight and I'm sorry, but the excuse afterwards from both sorry and from, from Kepa was just complete BS that there was a misunderstanding and, and he was, you know, you, you, he was winking at the you, camera. He was. You don't storm away and start smashing your clipboard and screaming at your other players and and your other your other staff and charge towards your goalkeeper for a misunderstanding over an injury. I mean, yeah. just from what we what you could see happening and from what the the official story is, it doesn't add up. No, it doesn't. And you know, like Kepa did play well during that game. He made some crucial saves and he actually got injured, making a fantastic save to 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 kind of clear city away in in the 119th minute i believe it was but you know like sorry losing it in the way that he did that's a lot of anger to be supposedly surrounding a misunderstanding you know like that's 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 what seems to be 7 to 8 months boiling over he's lost the locker room he's lost the players he 
almost, almost had them back, or he, he almost had some sort of result for all of his, you know, toils and troubles and, and, and you know, rebuilding the squad into playing a, a, a mode of playing that was completely, was the complete antithesis of what Conte had brought to the table. You know, you, you got the sense that he was finally starting to turn a corner with Chelsea that, you know, maybe all will be well, but then this happens and it just completely undermines the game, the performance of the players, the result and his future plans moving forward. And now I'm hearing that Chelsea are not going to punish Kepa and they're not going to, he's not going to face any sort of sanctions from the FA or anybody else. It's going to be like this never happened. And that's and this had and this has to kind of do with what you had mentioned a couple of weeks ago on the pod, um, just about player power at Chelsea and just how it's it's a it's a disease in that club. Uh, and I mean, you know what? Like for uh, Aspilicueta to to sort of just brush it off the way he did with that that bullshit excuse that he didn't see it to the other side of the pitch. I mean, for all of that, but at the same time, you have to understand that you know he has to go with the tide, and the tide is saying that it's against sorry at this point against the manager. And so he couldn't go against that tide. The fans were turning. Some of the players are turning and you know, you have to, he had to go with that flow and I don't agree with it, but I, I feel like sort of that's, that's what's happening and, and it needs to stop. And if I was sorry, it would either be Kepa sits for the next couple games or the rest of the season, or I walk because you have to sort of, because now what's going to say, like he set a precedent now, where if he pulls off Hazard and he doesn't want to come off, is he just going to stay on the pitch? Well, okay, let me are, ask you. Are you, you going to punish Hazard? Let me ask you this. Even with the Mourinho days, as as bad as they got, if Pogba's number came up at an important part of the match, would you would he have refused to be subbed off? No. Well, then there I, you go. I don't think so. Well, I, I mean, I, he you could because that's that's not about you and your manager that's not you know i've seen players come off i mean hell here locally uh i think it was the 2016 mls cup final toronto fc seba comes off he got pulled off the pitch he was you know nursing a bit of an injury and he goes into the tunnel and he starts smashing barriers yeah. and, and smashing posts but you know what he came off the pitch he came off the pitch the, the he, thing was is that he, he was a professional and he he went along with the the principles of the game the 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 rules of the game yes. like it just this left a really bad taste in my mouth and any sort of like i had or or you know i, I don't I, I didn't mind kep as a keeper i thought he was he was quite good but this sort of made me lose all respect for him as a professional yeah. in the sport no the reason i ask about the the jose Mourinho thing is it's just that because there is a fundamental underlying respect for the rules of the game for the manager for the decisions being made they don't have to like it they can voice those um, disagreements either publicly or privately but here this was something else this was like a power struggle played out in real time for the world to see being broadcast to millions across the world it's and, I mean, and, and you know this guy's worth this guy got brought in for what 70 million yeah I sure and, 70 and, million and for whatever reason the the culture and the environment around Chelsea has allowed him to have this inflated sense of entitlement the fact that Cesar Aspilicueta did not do anything, didn't even so much as go over to clarify the situation or to encourage him to stay on and whatnot. In fact, what he did during the shootout is he hugged him when he scored his penalty. He actually like gave him a, like put his hands on his head and like you know encouraged him. I think that 
he supports Kepa, and I think he's roped in Kepa to be part of the anti-Sari contingent in the Chelsea locker room. I think that there, like, I th- I have to believe just on what I've seen so far, just not buying into the rumors, not buying into you know what certain people are saying online. Just from what I see with my own two eyes on the pitch, seeing how this all played out, I have to believe that the reason why Sari has no respect is because of Cesar Aspilicueta, because he is not shutting shit down. He's not being a captain. He's being weak in interviews, and he's just sort of sh- shrugging it all off. That is the that is the response of somebody who's guilty of of, of being implicit implicitly involved with everything that's going wrong. I agree wholeheartedly. And the last thing I'm going to say on this is um, there was there was a picture that was posted to Twitter uh, during the the penalty shootout, uh, and you could see the entire Man City team, uh, staff, everybody, arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, lined up on the touchline watching as it goes on and then if you cut right to the left you could see the Chelsea squad and they were just completely uh, separated they were discombobulated some were standing some were sitting sorry was kind of by himself in the middle and they're just it it was a really good picture to kind of show the difference between a team that is sort of gelled together and cohesive and working together and a team that right now seems to kind of be in in shambles in regards to leadership absolutely and camaraderie absolutely yeah but now I do want to ask you a question. Um, so City win the first uh, trophy of the year. Um, now there's a lot of talk about them possibly going on to win the domestic treble. Um, so the FA Cup uh, with the teams that are left in it, they they have a great shot at that. Uh, and then, of course, they are very much alive in the title race. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think it's going to happen? Do you think that they have enough vigor to get through it? Um, may I even say quadruple Champions League? <laughs> I don't think they're going to win the Champions League. That's not really something that I believe they can do. Um, even though they have the quality and the depth, I just think that Champions League is is a whole other beast entirely. Like who? Like like I don't see them beating PSG, for example, if it comes down to the two of them in the final. Uh, I don't see them being beating Liverpool, quite frankly, because Liverpool are a completely different team when they show up for Champions League games. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't see them winning Champions League, but I do see them winning the FA Cup. They have a very, very good shot of it. Even their second strings are really, really good for the level of competition that the FA Cup is. So if it comes down to resting one or two key players for the league or the Champions League in order to secure a fresh, fully fit squad for the FA Cup, I think... Those second stringers can do a really good job. Um, When it comes to the league, though, this is where it gets a little interesting. Uh, Liverpool dropped two points against United or gained a point, (laughs) depending on how you look at it. Um, And there's some serious questions that I'm starting to ask of the team now. Um, And I just wonder if we can sustain that league challenge. And the question, and it's still very much Liverpool's lose. We're still one point ahead. Um, but it's it's looking increasingly like it's going to try and slip away from us just on the just based on the last few games in the league. You know we've had we've had a few too many draws right now, and we haven't really the, the gearbox seems to be a bit stuck when it comes to the attacking third play. Like against United, Mane was bad. Salah was marked out the game. Firmino got injured. The the midfield looked like they were completely out of ideas. This team feels like it's 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 burnt out and if if the team is burned out we don't necessarily have a lot of depth and if that 
if the what depth we do have can't perform, as was the case on against United, then yeah, City could be very well within shot of a quadruple. I do agree. Uh, I, I don't think that they have what it takes to, to pull off a Champions League victory this year. Um, but I do think the FA Cup is um, is very much in their, their reach. Yep. Um, dare I say a <laughs> United Derby for an FA Cup final? That would be great. Uh, I, I, it would be great. I think it would, it would make it for a great atmosphere, that's for sure, uh, down at Wembley. I'm going to have a lot of beer for that game because <laughs> I don't want either of them to win. But we'll drink it together. It would be perfect. No. <laughs> No, 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 no. But if you had to choose, if you had to choose... Well, I have to choose City because, like, United is Liverpool's (laughs) sworn enemy, right? Like, I would rather see a serial killer get released back on the streets than seeing uh, United win. No, okay, that's that's a bit too far. (laughs) But, like, like, I I just have a hatred for United. I I support whoever is playing them. I, I, you know what, I have so much appreciation for that as a United <laughs> fan you can hate us as much as you want um, but speaking of United uh, let's jump over to that game right now uh, it was the marquee matchup of the weekend uh, Liverpool United it finished in a nil-nil draw um, dare we call this the injury derby yeah I think because, I think some, my lord somebody rubbed the genie the wrong way or cast a spell I, I feel like there was some kind of witchcraft voodoo over the first half because four injuries and it, I mean, it mainly went against United. Uh, so, you know, Pereira comes on for Herrera in the 21st minute due to injury. Uh, Jesse Lingard, who, who was injured, was just kind of being eased back in, gets brought on in the 25th minute for Juan Mata, who goes down. Um, and then you got Sturridge coming in for Firmino, uh, Firmino uh, 31st minute. And then Sanchez has to come on for Lingard, who had just come on like eight minutes before that. Um, sorry, 18 minutes before that. Uh, and he goes down with an injury uh, after making a, a great attempt on goal, which was a beautiful save by Allison. And it just it was and not also, looking good for also Rashford um, limping. Rashford was nursing an injury, so you know. But you know, it was good on United to sort of push Rashford into the middle. Um, so that he could kind of rest it when he wasn't making yeah. those runs, throw Lukaku on the wing. And you know what? That was sort of, it, it was nice to see because it was it was good sort of teamwork in the sense that, look, uh, we already know Lukaku does not like to play out wide, but because of the situation, you know, he was happy to do it, take one for the team. Uh, Rashford made a, quite a few good um, runs when he had the opportunity, but um, you know, he wasn't fighting to get back. He wasn't really fighting for balls in the center of the pitch. It was very clear that he was nursing something. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, earlier you had said, uh, you know, Liverpool either dropped two points or gained a point, depending how you look at it. I think with all the circumstances, it's safe to say that they definitely dropped two points only because United was in a is was in disarray. I mean, with all of the injuries. We already know that United does not have a ton of depth, mm. um, but you know what? They 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 dug in. Um, yep. They dug in and they they fought for the draw. Uh, and I think towards the end of the game, it looked like Liverpool at that point because United seemed to have the majority of the offensive chances as well. Yeah. Um, from the match, and so I, I think that it came to a point where Liverpool realized that it was either going to be a situation where they drop two or they drop all three. And it seemed the last sort of three or four minutes just kind of petered out, and both teams uh, had they settled settled for a draw. Yeah, no, you, you absolutely hit the nail on the head. I think Liverpool, up, after about the 85th minute, we sort of realized that, you know what, this isn't working and let's not 
try and force the issue here. Let's not overcommit. Let's just guard what we have. We're coming away with a point against United away. You know, in if you if you took the the title race out of the equation, that's a good result. You know, you're going to a resurgent United who have how many wins in in as many matches, and to come to their home turf to force them to have all these injuries and then to come away with the result like to come away with some points is 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 is, is a good day's work but in the context of the cha- in the context of the title race you force them to have three key injuries you know they're fielding a weakened squad we should have take, taken full advantage of that we should have put two or three past you but the fact of the matter is i have never seen Mane performed that badly in the Liverpool shirt. I have never seen Salah be as useless that day as I have in a while. All credit to Luke Shaw for staying on him and marking him so, so well. And that midfield, it was robust, but it wasn't creative. And we had Keita just sitting on the bench. We had Shakiri who came on way too late. I don't believe Sturridge should have you know come on for Firmino but I understand you want to keep the shape as is and you want to try and stick with the system before you change it up around the 60th minute which is typically what Klopp does and more importantly you had Trent on the bench now I know Trent played his first 90 against Bayern Munich uh, after a spell out with injury but we were lacking creativity and Milner while he's better defensively than Trent he's his crossing just wasn't up to snuff against United and he just wasn't what was required on the day I would have much preferred to see Trent there honestly and I think the result was fair on the balance of things I think United and Liverpool cancelled each other out quite well yeah neither um, team really had a, a ton of offensive chances yeah uh, the best chance coming to, to Chris Smallings and the dying embers of the game there, right uh, where he should have just sort of thrown his body at it right. but I think he was equally as surprised that the ball made it all the way through the box to him yeah um but you know what I, I think I, I 100% agree with you um the Liverpool's front three did not look great. I mean, they looked pretty much non-existent for most of the match. Um, both midfields kind of just were, were okay. I would say United's midfield were looked a little bit better. Um, but I think where it really came down was um, United's back line really stood up this game. Uh, Chris Smalling had a fantastic showing. Mm-hmm. Luke Shaw, uh, Lindelof, uh, Young, all four of them really sort of stepped it up. Uh, and it was sort of nice to see some of the, the midfielders getting back. I don't think I've seen Pogba defend like that <laughs> in, in quite a while. Um, you know, McTominay had a great day as well. So yeah. I, I think, like you said, it, a great way to sort of look at this match was that they both um, canceled each other out. They both played well. Um, Stats-wise, they were pretty much equal minus possession. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think I think a nil-nil draw is, is, a, is a great sort of... Um, summary of how that game went yeah and it doesn't it's not a bad result for united either like the worst thing would have been to come away with a loss especially with your top four aspirations um but if even if you had lost you lost to the league leaders so nobody could blame you really um i think united definitely had the better performance overall of the two teams because i think the one thing i saw across all liverpool social media was that the team played like shit and that's fair to say. Like, I felt disappointed. And I, I'm never really one, as, as a Liverpool fan, I'm never really one to kind of scoff at the team and at the fan base when we, you know, when we lose because, you know, losses happen. It's football. But when we play badly, that's when I get disappointed. That's when I get upset. And we 
definitely didn't play to our strengths. And again, I, I can't get over it. Mane was so bad. <laughs> he was so bad. And the fact that we didn't have anybody on the bench to 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 replace him aside from Shakiri, that's worrying to me. Like we need we need a bit more depth there. Yeah, and. I mean, like I said, it, it, it's, it's keeping the title race super close. But at this point, it's it's starting to sort of slip from from Liverpool. That, uh, I think uh, it's still um, ours to lose. It is. It, it's still yours we, to we lose. Lost our lead. Slipping. I mean, yeah. if you I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you guys have had three draws in the last four Premier, uh, Premier League games. Oh, thanks for that. I need another glass of whiskey. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, I mean, those that's three points on a, a possible 12. Yeah. Um, that, you know, like that, those are huge points. You win all of those games and it, the title race sort of just slips away from the other teams. And at this point now, it's sort of, you know, Spurs as <laughs> Spursy as they were this weekend. Um, you know, they're still technically in it mathematically. Oh, no. Um, after, City's right, right after that result. <laughs> Uh, City is uh, right on your heels. Um, you know, Liverpool's right there as well. So it's going to make for a great end of the season. I, but it's just, yeah. you know, as, as much as I'm not a huge Liverpool fan, uh, it's just, you know, you want to see teams that are that are that have the quality, you know, perform well. And I just don't think that this was an example of that. No, you're right. And I see, I, I don't want Siege to win it because it'll be another year where the, the biggest spenders and the biggest wage earners won the league and I don't like that as a football fan I don't like when a team effectively I don't want to say it's a lazy thing to say but buys the league you know it just that's why we all loved when Leicester won the league because it was a fairy tale it was an underdog story and I feel like even though Liverpool have spent considerably that's only because we've made a considerable amount from the sales of Coutinho Suarez etc etc so if we win, it'll be almost a return to form with the best football, the best team more than anything else. And a club with real passion and real reverence around the world finally regaining the glory. Like, as much as I wouldn't like United to win the league, I'd rather see them win the league over City because City are a soulless joke of a club. They, they, are. they are not... The Eddie had is a, is a funeral home for the most part. There's no passion <laughs> behind City. And I know there's some might be some City fans who will disagree with me, but... You compare it to like the football pantheons of, you know, Liverpool, Manchester United, Arsenal, Dortmund, Dortmund, Celtic, Real Madrid, Barcelona. It doesn't compare. It just doesn't. So, you know what? I want us to win for that more than like as a football fan first, as a Liverpool fan. Well, duh, of course I want us to win. (laughs) But yeah, no, I just... I just hope that we haven't fizzled out. I hope we haven't burnt out. I haven't. I hope we haven't spent all our energy, and I hope that this team can turn it around. Because honestly, it's been two months of really, really bad football at this point, and I just think that we can we can be better. Well, only time will tell, my friend. Um, so let's now talk about. Uh, I just I can't get my head around. How, why the why Spurs are the way that they are? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a Spurs fan, but I just I can't wrap my head around it. Sorry, Peter. So Spurs fall two one to Burnley. Um, goals by uh, Chris Wood and uh, Ashley Barnes uh, and Harry Kane in the 65th minute. Um, I just they every time there's a chance, Spurs have a chance to take anything and and sort of put it in their own hands and their own destiny. They just go and they muff it up. If they if they had won, they would have been within two 
of city. Yeah. And and, and then they, they're starting to get to a point where the, the title is in their hands, right? And I mean, not a hundred percent, but it was getting closer to that point right. as opposed to having to rely on other teams to, to, to drop points or fall. And it just seems that every time they get there and you're like, Oh, they might actually be, it seems that every time this year they got to a point where we could say, all right, it's time to start taking them really seriously. <laughs> they just fell off. And I just don't, I just can't wrap my head around it. You know, the, you, um, know you know, the three word phase phrase, you know what it is. Lads. <laughs> It's Spurs. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, that's exactly what happened. But, I mean, look, let's let's be real. Burnley, when they're on their game, and I know they really haven't been on their game for most of the season. They're sitting at 14th with 30 points. They're difficult to play against. They're a good team. Sean Dyche has a well-drilled team. I wish Peter was here. I wish he wasn't in Kitchener doing God knows what he's doing because I think he'd be able to give us a lot more insight over... Th- as to the state of the team, but Harry Kane coming back should have been the catalyst for them to really push on. And instead, it's been two steps forward, four steps back. I don't know. And, and he did his part. I mean, he scored, you know, to uh, to, to tie the game up. With the, just with was, the uh, most illegal free throw I've ever seen in my fucking <laughs> life. <laughs> he ran halfway down the pitch before he threw it in, but you know. <laughs> it was a great free throw, in, in, in fairness. Like it, it was, uh, it, it was beautifully placed. Uh, I, I don't think that Sean Dyche would um, agree with you there. But <laughs> no, he, he won. I don't think he cares about our opinions. You know what? <laughs> you can't take away from Burnley that they played well. Um, they played better than Spurs on the night. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it just it, it's frustrating because you know I want to see the closest title race as possible. Uh, I want to see, you know, three, four teams, five teams fighting for, for three points. Like, you know, that's sort of, so I just, this was sort of uh Spurs chance to do that. And they just completely muffed their lines. Yeah. Um, you know, Erickson did not look great on the night. Um, Vertonghen was, I think that you and I both spoke before the pod that, you know, he was pretty much at fault for that, uh, that Ashley Barnes goal in the 83rd minute. I mean, it's um, the, that situation was created by Aurier not defending properly and then Ericsson, you know, playing to his strengths as an attacking midfielder and being a terrible defender in the middle of the pitch. Um, and then that cross come shot, like those are always really hard to predict and defend. But he did have a lot of time to see it. He didn't get to it in time. And it, I think, honestly, that was a lucky goal for Burnley. I don't and, think it and was hey, well good worked. on good on Barnes for sort of seeing it ahead of time and, and making that run to the yeah, far post. Yeah, it was a poacher's uh, And being yeah. there, you have to be there to make the shot, right? Right. Um, but, you know, and, and like I said, we don't want to take away from Burnley because they did play well. Yeah. Um, but it just... It was a very Spursy performance from a um, a Spurs team that we expect better from, especially this season with the kind of form that they have been on, mm-hmm. uh, and they just didn't show that to us, and it, it was quite frustrating. Yeah, but there was also some drama in this game that we can talk about. Uh, so after the match, um, Maurizio Bacchettino went over and uh, gave referee Mike Dean a few choice words to say <laughs> it politely um, regarding uh, if you guys didn't have a chance to watch the game really quick. So what had happened was um, there was a corner kick in which uh, Chris Wood scored the first goal on. Um, it was. Once the replay was shown, uh, it was blatant that it was a Spurs goal kick and should not have been a corner kick. Um, however, 
the referee saw it differently, called the corner kick. Pochettino lost his mind about it, uh, and then Burnley converted on that corner. Um, this is one of those situations where, you know, this is just human error. This is just human judgment, and and you have to kind of, you know, take it for what it is. Uh, it, Would this have gone to VAR? I believe VAR is only for uh, offsides. Um, for game-changing decisions. Yes. But like, then, like goals, offsides are... Yeah, but then you can make the the uh, argument that this was a game-changing decision. They scored off the corner. Yeah, but then are we going to be looking at... Every, you know, if somebody scores off a throw-in, right. are we going to be looking at every single ball that bounces on the line right. to go out? Yeah. I know that in uh, MLS, where they're using VAR, uh, corner kicks are not reviewable. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming that when it goes to the prem, it'll be the same, but who knows, they might... They might use that. Uh, nobody really knows right now, but I would say probably not. It was a bad refereeing decision when it comes down to it. At the end of the day, I, it just if you had a touchline ref, that wouldn't be an issue. But Prem's never going to do a touchline ref. It's yeah, it's it's just bad luck for Spurs in that situation. Losing your cool about it though, not not the preferred method of dealing with it. I think there were other issues Tottenham had throughout that game. To be I think that was just the frustrations of sort of how the season, because like I said before, uh, it seemed every time that Spurs got to a position where they were able to start to kind of really get close, they would fall back. And I feel like this is just sort of the frustrations of that boiling over and um, and resulting in a fine for Mauricio Pochettino um, for his conduct after the match. Um and uh, Mike Dean has actually been removed. He was originally slotted to be the fourth official yeah. um, on the midweek game between Chelsea and Spurs. Uh, and he has now been removed um, from that game to avoid any potential further conflict. And he's going to be on the touchline at the Eddie had for the City versus West Ham game instead. Uh, and Kevin Friend is going to be replacing him at Stamford Bridge. Sounds like uh, Pochettino needs a friend. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You got a friend in me. <laughs> well, you didn't have a joke at the beginning. No, so yeah, yeah, I, need, I needed something to balance it out. Yeah, for sure. This uh, this sort of last uh, stretch of the season is going to be extremely interesting. Um, I'm really curious to see how it ends. Is Liverpool going to you know fix their form and, and really go for it? Or are we going to see them start to slide off and a city going to overtake them? Uh, I think it's going to be a really fascinating last couple of weeks and and I can't wait to kind of be following it with you guys. But there is uh, one last little bit of news that we want to share and maybe talk about a little bit. Um, So Leicester City have officially parted ways um, with uh, manager Claude Puel. Um, They've gone winless in six games. Um, And so just a little fun fact for you. Uh, (laughs) which I think I have, <laughs> we talked about earlier, is that now the last three managers that have come through Leicester have all been sacked um, after going winless in six games. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ranieri, Craig don't, Shakespeare, and now Claude Puel. Yeah, just, don't, so you, I, just win. You can lose five at a time, then win one. Just, just don't, don't go winless six. in six. <laughs> <laughs> you can last a whole Probably, season like that. That's like in the contract. It's like the one clause. Yeah, if you done. go one listen six, you're That's done. It. You're done. No more. They're, they're setting they're setting a precedent for other managers. Um, but you know what? I mean, they've not looked great this season. Um, I'm surprised where they are in the table for how badly they have played. Um, they they have pulled out some decent results against some big name teams. 
but for the most part, they, they've not looked as good as they have the last few seasons. Um, but I think that that's also a comment on how badly some of the other teams at the bottom of the table have played this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. So do you, do you have any idea or any uh, thoughts of who might come in to uh, replace Puel for this? Well, the, the, for the rest of the season? For the rest of the season, I don't know. Um, but there is some rumors going around that Brendan Rodgers is the favorite to replace uh, or to take the full time job. There's some unconfirmed rumors on top of these rumors saying that they're willing to offer Celtic six million pounds to release Rodgers from his contract. Which, if you look, if you're Celtic and you look at their table, they've got I think six games to go, six or seven games to go. They're eight points clear from Rangers. They could realistically do it. They've already played Rangers yeah. twice, um, and and there'll be no. But if you were Brendan Rodgers, would you leave a team no. that has so much dominance no. like Celtic to go in and take on a challenge oh. like Leicester? Oh, or if- would you stay in the in the Scottish Prem? If uh, like I wouldn't, I I thought you were gonna ask, would you would you take the money and leave now? Um, (laughs) No, uh, like I I think he shouldn't take the money and leave now because he has a job to do. He has to finish it, Um, and uh, you know it's a chance to win more silverware. He won't get that silverware if he leaves. So, but I think now after four five years now in in the Scottish Premier League, four years, I think he's won everything he can. He's done what he should be doing with Celtic he's had an invincible season with Celtic there's not much more room at the top like I don't think Celtic have the resources to really compete in Champions League and they never really will um and he's given them he's given it a good go he's given it his best shot but the fact is Scottish football like the best team in Scottish football is limited when compared to Europeans League whereas with Leicester yeah okay I don't I don't know if Celtic is a better team than Leicester or vice versa but at least he'd have more money he'd at least he'll be in the Premier League where it's an environment that he knows that he knows what sort of expectations he'll have around him I think Leicester fans would really like someone like Rodgers who has pedigree at two very very famous football clubs and he is a stabilizing presence for for mid-table teams whether or not he makes Leicester into a top four team, I don't know. I don't know if he's a transformative manager like that, um, even with his time at Liverpool. But I do know he's a good manager. I do think I'd like like I'd like to see him in the Prem again, and I do think that Leicester fans could do a lot worse. Yeah, I agree. And um, some other names that have been thrown around as well are Robert, Roberto Martinez as well as uh, Rafael Benitez. Um, Ooh, Rafael Benitez is an interesting think- one. Yeah, I think I was thinking that as well. I mean, I don't know if he would leave Newcastle, um, but I, I I wouldn't mind seeing him in the in the job at Leicester. I think that he would do them a lot of good. Um, do you know what? I think if his, he if he left Newcastle, everybody would understand, even the fans, because Mike Ashley, the owner of Newcastle, <laughs> is um, he's a tit. Let's put he is. yeah, he's a, he's a massive, veiny tit. Uh, <laughs> he hasn't invest in the squad nearly as much as he should he doesn't seem to really care about giving Benitez the resource that he needs the fans are in constant uh loggerheads with him for various reasons over the years and at this point most Newcastle fans realize they're lucky to have a, a manager of Benitez's quality 
Would he be a good fit for Leicester? I don't know. It would be a big rebuilding process, and I think he's actually quite happy at Newcastle because he loves the city and he loves the players, um, and he loves the people of Newcastle, which he said several times. I think he just gets on well with people in the Northwest, generally. Uh, It's a a good part of England. The Northwest and the North. Yeah, just a much more friendlier place to be. Um, I think... Everywhere he's managed, there's always been really strong footballing culture. Like Newcastle, the biggest thing in the skyline is St. James's Park. and Or one of the biggest things is is that. And in, in Liverpool, obviously, the two very, very storied clubs there, Liverpool and Liverpool Reserves. So, <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't know if he'd want to make the move. But if he did, he could be good. There's a lot of rumors going around about who might replace him. Um, but for now, you know what? All we can do is wait and see. Uh, and I think that's going to do it for us here, man, on the Starting Eleven podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining us. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please, as always, leave a rating and a review with your thoughts about the show. And you can follow the show on Twitter at XI Podcast. And please feel free to send us your questions or comments to the starting XI Podcast at gmail.com. And we will try to answer them on the pod the following week. And until next time, on behalf of Chengays, Thank you very much. Normal service to resume next week. (laughs) Uh, Peter, who is not here, but we do miss him, uh, and myself, thank you so much for listening.